Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, welcome to our second week of uh, looking at, uh, in our series called The Free Methodist Way. We have started a new series looking at five values that shape the heart of our larger denominational family. And uh, I, I loved kind of our discussion last week. Last week, we kicked off by looking at the first value, which was called life-giving holiness. And it was a great opportunity to kind of uh, reframe and, and kind of capture again the significance of holiness in our life as a life-giving kind of thing, that it's something that's good, that we should pursue, and that it is life-giving. So uh, we started off that way last week, and I just want to remind us all, whether you're uh, joining us here in person or if you're online, if you're online, you can go right now uh, and look, but we each week provide a bunch of resources uh, throughout the week for what we talk about on Sundays. This is part of our biblical teaching step in our discipleship pathway, where we provide a number of different things for you all to be able to look through each week. So the idea is you might take something something different each day and dive more into what we're talking about and so that it can be kind of a, a, a spiritually forming process for you throughout the week. For this series, a lot of our resources are provided that, that are provided are the well-written articles and devotional resources and videos that have been made by our denomination all centered around these five values. And so I also just want to say, I just want to encourage you, don't leave your thinking and reflection on our weekly message to Sunday only. Make it a part of your, of your daily life throughout the week because we really want to, we really want to grow in our, in our faith and uh, in our involvement with Jesus. And so we hope uh, to, to be able to help you do that. Like I said, it's a significant part of our uh, discipleship pathway. So as we turn to our attention to uh, the Free Methodist Way for the second week, uh, we're going to use a word that's a little bit more familiar within the church than it is outside of a church setting. And a bit like the idea of holiness uh, last week, I think it might need some reframing and renewal in our experience and in our thinking. And the word is this, multiplication. So I'm not sure how that word hits you when you hear it in a church setting. Uh, it was fun. I had this fun kind of exercise this last week where I asked a number of different people throughout the week, how, what does that mean to you? What's your experience when, when I tell you that word, especially in the context of a church? And there were uh, a lot of different reactions to it. Some were negative. Some heard that in the context of like wanting to be something like a megachurch and experience that in a negative way. And then there were others who heard that and experienced that in a much more positive way. In fact, in the way that we're going to talk about it today, uh, which, I'm, which I'm thankful uh, that for that. So I'm, I'm thankful we get to talk about it today uh, because I think you'll really connect with the heart of the idea of multiplication, especially as our larger denominational family is trying to, is meaning it. So today we're going to talk about the value of Christ-compelled multiplication. That's the value uh, for our larger uh, free Methodist family. 
And at, so I'll take, I want to take you to the end of the book of Matthew in chapter 28. We have this really well-known scene between Jesus and his disciples. And I think I walked through this a little bit or said this in a different message a bit earlier. But I love the surprising nature of what happens in Matthew 28. Let me just set the scene a little bit. As I read that chapter, I feel like it can feel a little bit frantic. There's a lot that happens in that chapter really quickly. It starts with the two Marys going to Jesus' tomb after his death, but, but, um, and, and he's, he's not there. He's resurrected, but the Marys don't know it yet. What happens is there's a major earthquake. Angels come down from heaven. The guards fall down in a faint as if they were dead. And the Marys are told that Jesus isn't there that he's risen from the dead, and that they're supposed to go tell the disciples. So in their excitement, they run away from the, from the empty tomb to go tell the disciples. And as they run away from the tomb, it says that they're met by the risen Jesus. Just an incredible moment in the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Then what happens is the scene cuts to those soldiers who, I'm assuming after they woke up from their dead-like faint, went to go tell the leading priests what happened. And they were bribed not only to be quiet, but to lie about what happened. So this is kind of this interesting little aside right in the middle of the chapter. And then the very end of the chapter comes. And this is the moment that we all know very well, at least those of us who follow Jesus. We come to the moment where Jesus and his disciples are meeting together on the mountain just before Jesus ascends to heaven. Just imagine this moment. Try to put yourself into the story. It's been a very dramatic few days for the disciples and the followers of Jesus, right? Just think about that. All their hopes and dreams at this moment have come true. Jesus has proven that he is the Lord of all creation and that he even has power over death itself. It's and I wonder if the disciples were thinking at this point, can you believe it? We've got Jesus back. It's been a crazy few days and we thought that he was gone forever, but he's risen from the dead. These next few months are gonna be amazing, right? I wonder if they think this is gonna be awesome. We're gonna go from town to town, all those people that rejected Jesus, and we're gonna thumb it in their nose. Jesus is gonna show off all his glory and people are gonna come to faith, right? I wonder if that's what they're thinking. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. And I'm wondering if they're thinking, yeah, you have. <laughs> this is amazing. I can't wait to convert everyone, right? And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word go here means you all, you, you all go to do this. And I think, I wonder if they're like, yes, we're going to go. Wait a minute. It kind of sounds like you're not coming with us. And then he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Jesus leaves. Pretty, as a pretty significant moment. And I wonder if it just did not go at all like the disciples expected when they're standing there with Jesus. Uh, another one of our bishops, uh, in his article about this uh, 
value for our faith family said this. Of all the things that Jesus might have said on that momentous occasion, he chose to commission his disciples to take the message and life he had given them and give it to others throughout the world. I don't know what the disciples were expecting in this moment. I'm guessing they didn't know just how significant this moment would be from this point on and what it means for those of us who follow Jesus. Jesus, just snap your fingers and save everybody, right? But that's not what he did. He used his power and his authority that he'd been given and he passed it on to us. He gave us a task to empower you and me to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Wow. For us as free Methodists, the idea of multiplication is about how each of us as individuals and as a church family serve as witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how are we pursuing seeing that realized in the lives uh, of people around us and in the world around us. The question is, how are we passing on what we have received through faith in Jesus to the people and world around us? That's the idea of multiplication. Bishop Cowherd writes this, Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus could have reached the world any way he desired? He could have spent a thousand years personally taking his message to every nation on earth. He could have waited for the digital age in order to to get his message out overnight. Instead, he chose to embark on a three-year ministry journey, which he devoted the vast majority of his time and energy to 12 individuals. Jesus invested deeply in the lives of a few in order to maximize his impact on their lives and to train them to do the same for others. In doing so, he was choosing to trust the process of multiplication to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Pretty cool, right? Maybe it feels a little bit weighty, but it's really important to understand that we are smack dab in the middle of this process and plan. Uh, we have to understand ourselves as disciples of Jesus, as individuals who follow Jesus, yes, but as people who are multipliers of our faith, as part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just something that we do, it's part of who we are. We are right in the middle of this process, and that's so important for us to understand. In the, mater- in the material provided around the uh, value of, the free, of this free Methodist way, it's recognized, and I'm thankful that this is uh, mentioned here, but it's recognized that this is probably for us one of the more aspirational values, meaning that we've got some work to do in this area and that that's okay as we're kind of in process and kind of figure this out. I know that it's difficult, the idea of what, how do I pass on my faith? What does that look like? That's something that I feel like we as followers of Jesus, work out from the time we come to faith even to this very moment right now, no matter how long you've been following Jesus. We have to kind of try to figure that process out. But we all aspire to do this and to do it better. In the bishop's article, uh, he lists some, of, some results of the data that they collected since the beginning of our denominational family in 1860. Uh, And you can go read it. I'm not going to go through all of it there. In fact, tomorrow uh, we post all of our weekly materials on Monday. Uh, So that includes our devotional with uh, 
additional resources for you to look up and our, our podcast discussion that's all there. So you can go and find that article tomorrow on our website. But he, uh, he, he notes uh, and it tracks some of the decline in the number of our churches over time since 1860 when the Free Methodist Church began. He said one of the insights of the combined data is that we've reached relatively high numbers in average worship attendance, but in far fewer churches. This suggests that most of our growth is coming through a few larger churches while our overall presence across the U.S. has steadily decreased. And he notes that this is, uh, just, this is just attendance. It's not a statement about the number of people that are giving their lives to Jesus on a regular basis. And then he writes this, and this is so key. If you remember, last week we, we talked about how as free Methodists, we're theologically optimistic, right? Because we believe this kind of transformation is possible. He writes, we could allow this reality to discourage us or we can let it be a wake-up call uh, that shakes us out of a long and spiritual slumber. I love that because this is what makes it a little bit more aspirational because when we're asking the question, how am I in this process? How are we in this process? I think we need to recognize we've not always done a really good job at this. We can grow at this, but the, the idea is that we really want to do this. I think admittedly there can be some intimidation around how do I pass on my faith? What does that look like? Uh, And I just want to continue to press the point. We really do believe that that's possible, (laughs) right? If it's not possible, I wouldn't be here. I had people pass their faith on to me and likely you've had people do that for you as well. But please hear me. When I say that our commitment at Crossview Church is to receive the bishop's encouragement and to heed the call of Jesus, we want to be and we will be multipliers. We will be people who pass on our faith to those around us and the world around us. Amen? We want to do that and that is our commitment. We will not be discouraged, but we'll redouble our commitment to share the message of forgiveness and renewal and restoration and new life and purpose through Jesus Christ. I hope those words get you excited because that, those Those words are descriptive of the story of scripture and what Jesus does in our life. Forgiveness, renewal, restoration, new life, and purpose. That's what we're passing on to people. Okay, so how do we do this? Uh, I'm I'm thankful that the first thing that the bishop uh, notes in his article And it begins with, and I'm not sure how this will hit you, but it begins with the idea of our need for repentance. Our need for repentance and the ways that we've done this wrong in the past. Or for the ways that we've made it about ourselves or our model or ways of doing things. What we want is to pass on our faith in Jesus. Not necessarily the way that we do stuff. Does that make sense to you? And so I think for the first part here, it's really important that we come with an open heart, open hands, open mind, and ask the Lord forgiveness for where we've made this about ourselves. Bishop uh, Cowart in this article uh, writes a number of questions that are really helpful in helping us reflect on this and come to a place of repentance. I'm not going to read all of these questions. He's got some larger questions for the church as a whole, and then some really more personal questions for individuals. I want to encourage you to take these questions, go look up the article, and take these questions and make them a matter of prayer throughout the week. And I think it'll be a really meaningful and moving experience for you. But I'd like to read just three of these. Uh, And these are pretty hard-hitting questions, and I'm so thankful. The first is this. 
Have we neglected our missional imperative to be witnesses of Jesus in the world, choosing instead to embrace the notion that the church exists primarily to provide services for the faithful? Second, have we been more consumed with preserving Christian culture in our nation than reaching those who need to hear the message of Jesus? Or what about this one? Have we lost confidence in the power of the gospel to transform society through transformed lives, choosing instead to put our hope in things like political influence and power? Wow, that's a, that's a really timely question for us these days, isn't it? And like I said, there's more questions that help, uh, that are more kind of geared toward individuals. So I encourage you to go read that. But I think the first step in us uh, becoming really effective multipliers, those who pass on our faith, is to come to this place of of repentance where we're asking God to forgive us for the ways that we've made this about ourselves in the past. The second step is that we need to once again, remember and fall so deeply in love with Christ that we're consumed by our love for him, right? That's one of the things that is so key to this is that we, we fall, we are so in love with Jesus. We often hear it, uh, the language that we often hear in the church is that we want to rekindle our first love. And maybe this, is, this was an important one for me as I was studying this this last week because I know we all go through seasons of life where maybe we are really deeply aware of what Jesus has done for us and we are driven by that fact on a daily basis. And then there are other times in our life where that's not so much the case. And I think one of the, one of the elements here of us becoming effective multipliers is to remember and rekindle our deep love for Jesus Christ and that we want other people to experience that, right? The forgiveness and grace and mercy that we have been given. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 2 it says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How about Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20 it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but it's Christ who lives in me. Philippians 3, 7 through 8 says, But wherever there are whatever gains... But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Oh, isn't that great? Where are you in your relationship with Jesus, your love for the Lord Jesus? Is it a driving, a primary driving force in your life? That's what this is all about, to recapture and reclaim that sense of connection with the Lord. And that it drives our desire to see that replicated, multiplied in the lives of people around us. What would it look like if we had as much passion for Jesus and his kingdom as we do for our views on issues that have dominated our culture over the past 12 months? Maybe this is something to think about uh, and ask God to rekindle a passion for him this week. Whether that's spending some time in the word or in prayer or in worship or whatever it's like. Uh, for you, whatever that, that need you might have is, but how and where uh, are, are, can we rekindle this, this deep passion for, love, for a love for Jesus? Last week we talked about this moment. If you remember last week we talked about this, what the moment of salvation is often like for people who have given their hearts to Jesus for the first time, where we might experience the significant and overwhelming peace and love 
that we might not understand and it's, we acknowledge that it's really hard to describe what that experience feels like but we also have this very strong desire for everyone else around us to experience the same thing that freedom and peace we need to rekindle a love for Jesus that'll help us want to see that replicated in the lives of people around us the last step and I think becoming a mo- uh, effective uh, multipliers of, of faith, those who pass on our faith to the world and people around us, is to remember just how relational this should be. And this is really, really important. And I love how who we are here at Crossview Church really uh, walks hand in hand and step by step with this value of our Free Methodist Church, which is that our process that we've mapped out is so deeply relational. This is where I think when we're passing on faith, it really sticks with people, is when you enter into deep, long-term, loving relationships with people where you can have an influence, a significant influence in the lives of people around you. Developing deep and ongoing relationships, inviting people into their own process with Jesus is what being multipliers is all about, and it's exactly what our discipleship pathway is all about. Pouring our lives into other people, offering compassion and love and grace and mercy, followed by a grace-filled invitation to a journey with Jesus. This is exactly how Jesus did it, and it's how we should too. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, it says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he held every... He healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. Jesus was very relational in the, in the way that he invited other people into faith. He did this with his disciples, and he did this as he traveled from town to town. Uh, Bishop Cowhert, in his article, uh, had some incredibly helpful insights as to the nature of the relational nature of Jesus' multiplication. So uh, these are really good. So what I'd like to do is just read these for us, because he makes an observation about Jesus, the way that Jesus does it, and then asks us a question. Again, you can find these in the article, but it's really good to go through uh, here this morning. One of the things that Jesus did is that he saw. Jesus did not isolate himself from the world around him, but put himself in places that would allow him to see people. So the question for you and I is, how am I intentionally and strategically finding ways to rub shoulders with those who do not yet know Jesus? How are you at seeing people, seeing the need of people around you? The next thing that Jesus did is he cared. Jesus' response reveals that when he saw, he looked at people. He responded with gut-wrenching compassion because he saw their deepest needs rather than their outward status. We see Jesus do this all the time, and I am so thankful because he did this for me as well. When he saw me, he responded with gut-wrenching compassion and the power to save my life, (laughs) right? How about you? (laughs) 
We need this, and I, I'm so thankful that Jesus did this for each of us, but modeled it, modeled it for us as well. When we, first of all, do we see people? Do we see them as people created in the image of our Lord and Savior, and do we respond with gut-wrenching compassion for who they are as they face difficult circumstances in their life? The next thing that Jesus did is he prayed. Jesus prayed that God would raise up workers for the harvest field. Now, this is language that we're all very familiar with in the, in the church. Workers for the harvest field, right? Which is that who, who are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world to carry his message everywhere we go. What I love here is this observation that Jesus immediately followed this prayer by sending those who were already with him. When we pray this prayer, we should never assume that the answer is that God will raise up someone else. Jesus sent those who are with him. Hey, you all, we need more workers for the field. We need more people to go tell the message of Jesus. But you all who are here, come around. I'm giving you the power and authority. Now it's your time to go. That means you and I who are sitting here in this room. This is not a job for someone else. This is part of who we are. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus, that we, wherever we go, are the workers in the field. I love that observation. The last thing that Jesus did, we just acknowledged, is that he gave authority. Jesus very intentionally gave his disciples authority before he sent them out because Jesus understood that they would face significant challenges More importantly, he knew that they uh, did not personally have the means to bring life to others. Jesus simply asked them to represent him, to be agents through which he could do what only he can do, right? And I'm so thankful for this as well because if Jesus is going to send us out to carry his message, to help be his hands, feet, voice, face in this world, asking us to get in the muck and mire and and suffering of life that we all experience and that other people experience with a message of grace, with a message of freedom, we have to have his power to do that because we cannot do it on our own. And he does it. And he says, I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. Now go. Thank you, Jesus. It gives us so much hope, doesn't it? It gives us the, uh, this is where, again, we're optimistic. This can actually happen. (laughs) We can actually do this. So church, let's do it, amen? Let's be people who multiply our faith, who pass on what we've been given because what we've been given is transformed lives that can actually make a difference in this world through the power of Jesus Christ. If you're joining us online or if you're here in person and you may be experiencing the move of the Holy Spirit right now, I want to encourage you to respond to that. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. This is often what we say. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Give your life to the Lord right now. If you're joining us online and you're hearing this for the first time and you feel like the Lord is is moving, there's an option for you to be able to do that, to give your life to the Lord. I just want to say what we have received is so incredible. And now we have that responsibility to pass that on. I think about this every time we, uh, I interact with our neighbors. More and more, I'm getting to know our neighbors and get to know their names and their stories. And every time I interact with them, I think about this and I pray for them. And we're doing everything we can to invite them into their own process and journey with the Lord. Uh, and then walk beside them as they, as they go on that journey. And what a journey it is. 
I want to end our time together by just quoting a church historian, Michael Green, and he writes this. I love how he says this. This, that is sharing the gospel, must often have been not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and wine shops, on walks, and around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with the conviction of those who were not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously, and the movement of Christianity spread. Isn't that amazing? I love thinking about it that way. That's who we are. Enthusiastically, casually, gossiping the gospel wherever we go and making a difference in the lives and the people around us. We've talked about a lot this morning. So where are you in this process? Uh, maybe you're at the point where you need to start with repentance this morning and, to, and uh, just to come and be open before the Lord. And in general, I think that one may be uh, more suited for us as a larger church. But maybe as an individual, you come and say to the Lord, hey, I'm sorry for the way that I've, I've done this poorly in the past. Maybe you're at a place where you need to recapture your first love of Jesus. And that's what you need to focus on this week. Maybe you're at the point where you're building relationships and doing everything you can to invite people into their own process and journey with God. The question for this week is, how am I passing on my faith to the people and the world around me? And isn't that a good question? Thank you, Lord, that we have a helper to help us along the way. Worship team, would you come make your way back up? We're gonna end our time, like I said last week, we've, uh, uh, we're gonna, each week has a video associated with it. And so we're gonna watch these, these videos at some point during the service uh, each week. And uh, these are great videos that were made by our denomination, and I'm thankful for the way that they articulate uh, who we are. So we're going to watch this, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll end our time in worship together. So.